It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. One day closer to college football as we kick off tomorrow. Florida versus Utah. Utah, of course, being ranked in the top 25, so looking forward to that matchup. Want to welcome everyone into the final drive. Corey Bounty along with Nick Wiggins, and of course, you can download the free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have, so you can correspond with us here on the app. That's right, and we got a lot of topics that you're going to want to get on today. We're going to talk about the Patriots. They don't have a backup quarterback now. They done cut my guy, Bailey Zappi. I had dinner with him. How could they do such a thing? Doug Peterson, no love in the NFL, cuts his own son. We're going to talk about the updated high school football rankings. Matt Stafford can't connect with the young players. John Emery is out for LSU against Florida State. Is Nick Saban bullying the media? Would you go watch an ACC football game at the AMC? And we're going to talk about the biggest brands in college football as well. That's right, Nick. The biggest brand in college football voted by high school athletes. And that's really who you're shooting for. The transfer portal is nice and polite and everything, but sooner or later, you're going to have to go ahead and you came out of high school as a four or five star recruit for most of these power five schools. And who do you think the biggest brand in college football is according to 1000 recruits that were surveyed by 24 seven sports? It's no question. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, look, since 2007, since Nick Staben walked onto that campus, they have had the most five-star recruits and the most championships. They are the brand of college football. So that's kind of a given. I mean, really the top three, I think you could predict. You got Ohio State. Outside of the SEC, they are by far the biggest conference and churn out the most NFL talent. And then you got Georgia there at number three. And once you get down deeper into that top 25 list, I was pretty surprised. I mean, look, I know that everything runs through the SEC. SEC college football is the brand of college football. But really, any SEC team that has had any relevant success, they are in that top 25, you know, according to these 1,000 high school players with South Carolina actually being the 25th biggest college football brand. I thought I was surprised at seeing South Carolina there at 25. Well, as far as the the household names, you you definitely have your household names. You would expect nothing other than the Alabama Crimson Tide to be right there at number one as far as recognition. And when you look at Georgia coming in number three nationally from a brand standpoint, really no no surprise there either as far as their back-to-back national championships. Oklahoma came in at four, 
from a branding standpoint. And Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, they're still relevant. I think that yeah. Clemson is one of those squads to where you're starting to hear a lot of people say, okay, who's going to follow up Nick Saban? Is it going to be Dabo Sweeney? But Dabo Sweeney, he, he hasn't gotten a lot of respect here within the last couple of years for the Clemson Tigers. I think that's one of those programs that's going to remain hungry. The LSU Tigers and Brian Kelly, you immediately bring relevance to your program when you win the SEC West. And as far as from a branding standpoint, when you have success in baseball, you have success in gymnastics, you have success also at the ultimate level in the SEC, and you're able to win that West, Brian Kelly's done a good job keeping that program relevant. Now, from a money standpoint, Texas A&M. Of course, all the money that's there. Jimbo Fisher comes in at seven. I'm, Texas at eight. I'm very surprised by A&M there at seven over Texas. There's a couple rankings here that I don't know. I'm thinking maybe these kids might have skipped a couple classes because you got A&M at seven. Behind them is Texas. You got the U, Miami. They're there at ten, and that's all above Notre Dame. Classic. Uh, North Carolina's there at 14. Ole Miss right behind them at 15. And then you got Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines at 16. And then behind them is Florida State, Tennessee, USC. I don't. Auburn there at 21. Texas A&M, number seven, the seventh biggest college football brand, according to these high school players. As fans, I think we can all disagree, but these are the high school players, and they're looking at, you know, what team am I going to go to? And apparently Jimbo is doing a good job at staying in favor of these young kids. I, I know he's doing a great job as far as Auburn being in the top 25. That's because of their current head coach in Hugh Freeze and the phenomenal job he and his coaching staff have done of rebranding Auburn and making it relevant again. The one that really does shock me is the fact that nationally, USC, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, you have a lot of California kids who are coming and playing at Alabama and are going other places. And from a national branding standpoint, Michigan coming in at 16, Coach Harbaugh back in the day, I know that Michigan, that's all people used to talk about is Michigan football and the dominance of that program. And to come in right behind the Ole Miss Rebels, Hugh Freeze being a former head coach, at Ole Miss, and now when you look at Lane Kiffin having the same type of swagger to me, but social media presence-wise, Ole Miss doing a, a great job of coming in at 15. So I don't know. Florida Gators, that's a national program, too. They're yeah. right outside the top 10. But if you are looking for branding, meaning social media, meaning letters, meaning recruitment from high school athletes, and this is where this poll is based. I know from a, a college standpoint, if you're Alabama, Auburn, again, the SEC being very well represented within yep. the top 25 nationally, and you look at the top 1,000 recruits that are being asked these questions, the brands of the SEC reach out nationally right i mean look like sec teams you got south carolina at 25 you got mississippi state at 23 you got auburn at 21 you've got tennessee at 18 you've got Ole miss at 15 that that just really seems high to me but you know whatever florida at 11 
And then you've got A&M and LSU, Georgia, Alabama. That's, what, nine? Nine SEC teams in the top 25 brands in college football, you know, according to high school recruits. So, I mean, if anything, that's just good for the SEC. And I don't know. I would like to see them. I don't know if this is something they do year by year, but I would have to assume on the next one, USC would be a lot higher. Michigan would be a lot higher. Now, do you think Alabama is still number one if they were to do this again? Because I'm seeing right here, they actually this was uh, a poll that was taken last year. So at this time before last season. So this was before the you know USC was successful and had their Heisman and Georgia went back to back. Now I'm curious if Alabama drops a little bit or if they're still there solid at one because of everything they've done up to this point. Well, look at here's the value that I want you to look at, which is kind of interesting, too. When you look at the college athletics total revenue from a top 25 standpoint, your total revenue, who do you think's at number one in the total revenue from a college football standpoint? Revenue? Is it a different team? It is a different team. I'm going to say that it is Ohio State. It is Ohio State being the top-earning, top-25 team. Now, from a revenue-generating standpoint, who do you think falls right behind Ohio State? I'm going to say LSU. It's going to be Texas. Texas with that money, and then Alabama comes in at three. Michigan, that's where you make the largest jump because when you're asking high school athletes, where do you want to go to school, who's showing you the most love, of course, that costs money to send all these recruiting letters and to spend all this recruiting time and recruiting visits. Michigan's at number four. Georgia turns around and is in the top five. LSU is six, A&M at seven, Florida at eight, Penn State at nine, Oklahoma at 10 and there's from a revenue generating standpoint now right outside of the top 10 is Auburn so from a revenue generating standpoint you look at from a high school standpoint Auburn is in the top 25 I think what did we say they came in at 21 21. so now from a revenue generating standpoint they're at 11 so you start seeing the correspondence in between your revenue generating programs versus how much you can spend on social media how many resources that you have as a program and then you start looking okay let's look at who's in the top Top 25, do you see Alabama in the top 25 in the polls? Of course you do. You even just look at the top 10. You still see Ohio State from an AP and coaches poll standpoint almost the same exact schools that you see from a total revenue generating standpoint. You see from a prospective student athlete standpoint. You see from an overall top 25 ranking standpoint. So there's definitely correlation as we enter this 2023 football season as to what you spend, as to what you earn, as to what you get as far as athletes. I'm curious. So out of this list, right, who do you think, in your own opinion, is the biggest surprise that they're on this top 25 list? And what team do you think is the biggest surprise that they're not on there? The biggest surprise, the top 10 I definitely can understand as far as from a biggest brand in college football because the U is truly a brand. And what happens is the tradition of the U and the location of the U help with the branding of that program. Now, if I were to go and say 
shocking in the top 25, South Carolina probably yeah. would be right up there for me as far as shocking. All right, let's say you take South Carolina out. Who would you put there? What uh, team are we missing? I, 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 would, I mean, I I'd say go back to look at the revenue generating standpoint. Uh, Recently, you, you would have to put Kentucky over South Carolina, right? Absolutely, you would put Kentucky over them. And you could even go as far as to say, let's look at the success of a program like Louisville. Or let's look at the success in the past of a program like Michigan State, who is still in the top 25. Yeah, right there on the back end. They, they are on the back end. So as far as looking at correlation there, I just want to I want to know when you do hear kids top 25 choices when you are here along the Gulf Coast in the Mobile Baldwin County areas how many kids have you said look I want to go out to the West Coast to experience football not too many we've had a few that have d ventured out to Stanford and had success at Stanford you look at Valus Jones going out to Southern Cal and then coming back home to Tennessee or closer to the southern route. So you don't see a lot of kids really going out to the West Coast from the South, whereas I think there are more West Coast superstars that wind up in Southeastern yeah. Conference rosters, whether that's Florida, whether that's Georgia, whether that's Alabama, whether that's Tennessee, wh whether that's Louisiana. You find more West Coast athletes wanting to come play in the SEC versus stay out in the West from a top 100 prospect standpoint. I'll bet you if they, you know, they redo this same type poll this year, that team that only won one game last year with Coach Prime, I bet they're in the top 10 now. I bet that if you went around and asked the high school kids, hey, what's the biggest brands in college football? I bet Colorado is in the top 10 just from that Deion Sanders effect. Like, and I mean, kudos to Colorado for doing things a different way. We talked about it with um, Jack the other day when we had him on the show. Look at the Twitter followers. Look at them rocking their hand on the back of their name. You look at Deion. I mean, it's as blockbuster as blockbuster can be without having anything to substantiate it right at this point. And, and I will say this. As far as Deion Sanders, man, this guy, he always finds a way to make the news and, and be relevant. Deion Sanders, you, FSU is what you associate Deion Sanders sure. with collegiately. Sure. Well, Deion Sanders said, no, I am a graduate of an HBCU, and he commented on that. Hurricanes, like myself. Yeah. And you're a knoll, my friend. No, 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 no. Actually, do you know where I graduated from? Yeah. Who said that? You know everything. She didn't know that. They didn't know that. Tell them again. Where did I graduate? I graduated from HBCU. So I'm a who? I'm a, no, I'm a who? I thought it's where you graduated from, isn't it? That, why you keep calling me that and then it goes to where I graduated from? <laughs> Deion Sanders. You can't help but like the guy. The guy is just... He's entertaining, man. Uh, is he going to win football games? I hope so. But look, that that stadium's going to be packed out. You know, if they win zero games this year, so. But and what's what's interesting is Deion Sanders does receive his college diploma from Talladega, and he is of course known for being a Florida State Seminole 
from 85 to 88. Now, did he have to stay his entire time? Not when you're neon, Dion, or prime time and the way he was able to take care of business, but he, has, he hasn't shied away from not showing a lot of love to Florida State. Whether he was at Jackson State, now that he's at Colorado, you know, I think that were FSU ever to hire him as a head coach, he may still be a little bit salty over the fact that FSU passed him over and it's just not his time yet. Now, it, it, you can't say mama come calling because you, Dion just said he doesn't have a degree from Florida State. Yeah. He has a degree from Talladega. Now, this is all prediction, uh, just, you know, guessing. There's no substantial, nothing substantial to what we're going to say here, but do you think Deion Sanders would ever leave Colorado? They're letting you do whatever you want. You have all the freedom in the world. Not like you would get at Auburn. I remember when I wanted Auburn to hire Deion Sanders. I think that everyone ended up going where they needed to be. Uh, Deion is doing everything he wants to do at Colorado. Hugh Freeze is doing a great job at Auburn. I don't see Deion Sanders ever leaving, right? Like, the Buffaloes could probably win three games this year, and no worries, man. You're good. They could probably win five games the next year. No worries, man. You're good. Because you go to, like, a bigger program, now all of a sudden you can't just be Dion. You're not creating the program. you got to play under our rules. Dion, he's like a kid in a candy shop, and all the candy's free in Colorado. I, I will say this. Everything's going to be free wherever Dion goes. Whether it's at Colorado, whether he decides to go to Florida, whether he decides to go to Florida State, no matter where he decides to uh, to call home as a head football coach, it's not going to matter for him because Deion Sanders is the main attraction. And I guarantee you this, whether he is playing in front of 40,000 people, whether he's playing in front of 80,000 people, or whether he's playing in front of 110,000 people, Dion will sell out every single arena and stadium that he plays in just because. And Colorado, he knows that he can build his brand because they're not a winning program. That's right. Jackson State, they had won, but sporadically. Back-to-back SWAC champions. Now you look at him going to Colorado only having to win more than one game to increase his visibility. Man, Deion Sanders is going to be a winner and go straight to the bank no matter where he's coming from. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins be right back. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive. Now, yesterday before the show, Corey, you and I were talking about the Equalizer 3. You a big Denzel fan, man? Man, he's one of the greatest actors of one all of. time. One, one of. One of. One of. Nah, the, the. You say he's the greatest actor of oh, all time? Yeah, by far. To me, at least, he can do it all. He, he's funny. He can do the serious drama like a Malcolm X. He can do, uh, what was that, Flight. He can do the action movie. Tom right? Hanks ain't a, too bad either, they, though, brother. They're right there with each other. They need to be in a movie together. Oh, wait, they were. Philadelphia. And they both <laughs> got nominated for an Oscar. But, look, 
I know if I asked you to go see Equalizer 3, you'd say yes. What if I asked you to come watch a Duke-Syracuse game with me? What would you say? I would say yes because Riley Leonard would be playing. Okay, yeah. And, and that would be – now, if you pick two other ACC schools, if you said uh -huh. Georgia Tech and North Carolina State, yeah, uh, I w it depend yeah, I, w I would come watch it, would you? Because it's football. Okay, well, so now I don't know if we can do that here. That might be more – where the, that region is, but ESPN and the ACC, you can now watch those games. They're going to do around 70 of them and play them in a movie theater. You get your popcorn, you get your icy, you watch the game. I would not do that. You can't flip channels. <laughs> what if the game sucks? You're stuck watching it. Now, if maybe they broke it up into like, you know, like the four blocks where you can watch four games, that might be a little something. But I don't know. There's going to be so many commercials. It's not like you're just running it through like a movie. It's a lot longer than a movie. It's like you're watching Oppenheimer, right, every Saturday. Got to use it in the app. He says it's a great idea. I mean, I don't know. I like the ability to kind of flip around. It's not like a movie where you have to be attentive the whole time. You, but you're saying you would do this. I would definitely go, and I have indulged. Maybe try it once. I, I have indulged in watching Alabama at the movie theaters. At the big screen, the surround sound. It, it, it's a great atmosphere, and that's what AMC has partnered with the ACC to do, to offer that. Now, as far as not wanting, you know, if you – some people love high-definition televisions, love the surround sound, and they don't really have that true man cave sure. that we were able to give away at Heroes right. a couple of weeks ago. Some people don't have that, and you're just looking for other football fans to go and hang out with, and you're sitting there, and you're getting – when you go to certain places, a lot of the noise, you're not going to have a lot of noise in the movie theater. Yeah. You're, you're – it's not going to be silence either, but, you know, yeah. you're still able to get you some hot butter popcorn. I think if you could guarantee that it was like a sellout crowd and you know that you're in there with a lot of like-minded people during the commercial break, you know, you can look in the row behind. You'd be like, damn, <laughs> did you see that? But I've been to – I go to the movies like twice a week, right? Sometimes you go in that theater and it's just you in there and there's maybe like one person in the very front and one person in the very back. I feel like at that point it would get a little awkward. Right, because I don't know when I watch football, I like to kind of kick it back with my boys, talk about it, you know, see what the live tweets are looking like, what's really going on behind the scenes, what's going on in every other game. And there you're just so, so laser focused on one game. And, and let's be honest, we're not talking SEC. This is the ACC, people. Like, it's not like it's uh, the best product you could put on the no it's, it's definitely not not the best product it's just a different feel and, and you know I, I think that you you have the alcoholic beverages there that probably would be sold in popcorn are they selling alcohol well. at our movie theaters yet a absolutely oh. absolutely you, you can you can get beer uh and i know for one for sure out in west mobile they sell Alcoholic beverages. I, I wouldn't They'll know. I just sneak exaholic. it. In. Yeah, <laughs> Nick always. Oh no, this is water. <laughs> there you go. Bring in the flask like like the students do sure. at all the college football games. But no, I I think that 
if you have top-tier talent there, if you're a true diehard fan, the movie theaters is a great place to go and indulge and, and watch you, you it. You said you watched an Alabama game. What game did you watch at the theater? It, it, it was one of those Alabama versus a moneymaker game. Okay. I, I, I don't even recall the team. It was a non-conference ball game to where it was just one of those revenue-generating Maybe Nickel State or some what, someone who Alabama. Was the ticket the same price as a movie, or was it a different price? It was an it was a, it was a little bit different price. It was probably different like cheaper. I would say maybe at the time, fifteen bucks. Oh heck no. Yeah, no, fifteen bucks. On that man. <laughs> Look, Corey. Next time you can just come down to my man cave, man. Yeah. yeah. I got. I'm gonna have it set up like a Buffalo Wild Wings in there. Hopefully by the end of the weekend, three TVs, man. <laughs> one for you, one for me, and one for the little baby to watch Elmo or something. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Sesame Street is not seen by the New England Patriots. The That's big right. boys. We'll we'll see if you have some help for Mac Jones coming up next here on the final drive. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, executive director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Wednesday afternoon. Of course, NFL roster cuts were made on yesterday and want to send shout outs to hashtag 251. Of course, LaMichael Pirine, he wins a world championship with the Kansas City Chiefs a year ago. Well, he is continuing to be on their practice squad this year. Eric Guerra from McGill Tulin, he is also part of the Tennessee Titans practice squad. And Cephas Johnson III has made the practice squad for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So not only do we have practice squad members continuing to have an opportunity to pursue their NFL dreams, congratulations to those young men as they at any point in time can fill a void as the NFL season gets ready to start all coming from this Mobile, Baldwin County area. So congratulations to those guys chasing their NFL dreams. Now, chasing NFL dreams is something that Bill Belichick has done a lot of, but he's turned those dreams into reality for the New England Patriots. And our next guest, Mike Diabate, follows the New England Patriots. And I tell you, the buzzword yesterday was quarterback. And what in the world were the New England Patriots doing by leaving Mac Jones as the only quarterback on the roster cutting Bailey Zappi and then turn around cutting Malik Cunningham only to bring them back to the practice squad. Mike, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Uh, anytime, Corey. Nick, thanks so much for having me. Uh, you definitely had a lot of company up here in New England. There are a lot of head scratching going on, uh, a lot of people wondering what Bill Belichick was doing, leaving Mac Jones as the lone quarterback, but all of the scheming, I guess, and all of the calculations that Belichick was doing yesterday paid off today by signing Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham to the practice squad. Now with some of the players going on injured reserve, I expect at least one of them to be elevated to the main squad. And the Patriots, uh, you know, will have their backup and they'll have their quarterback room. But for a little while there, it was definitely looking interesting here in New England. Is it a situation, Mike, to where I know you're the lead Patriots reporter for Patriots country and, of course, powered by the fan nation, but 
As far as saying, look, if you're only going to bring them back to the practice squad, does that help with the contract or the salary cap? What What is what is the true meaning if you know that you probably are going to have both of them on your practice squads anyway? Why not just go ahead and make it QB1 and QB2? Well, I think in a lot of ways it's more about the roster spots and injured players than it is really about the quarterbacks and the salaries. Bailey Zappi's rookie contract was not – a weight on the Patriots' salary cap, and neither was Malik Cunningham. So bottom line, I don't think this was a financial decision. I think the Patriots looked at the needs that they had on the offensive line. I think they looked at the needs that they had on wide receiver and figured that some of the guys that they may have to cut loose may not patch through waivers and would not be available to them if they were to cut them yesterday. The other factor that goes in here, gentlemen, is that the New England Patriots have several players that will need to go on injured reserve, but you don't necessarily want to lose them for the year. If they were to put players like Tyquan Thornton or Riley Rafe on injured reserve prior to the 53-man roster being assembled, they're done. They lose them for the year. But if they place them on the 53-man roster and then place them on injured reserve after either today or tomorrow or whenever, they're eligible to bring those guys back in four weeks if they're ready. So by putting Zappi and Malik Cunningham on waivers, they took a big chance that those guys were going to get claimed. But they must have had pretty good intel that allowed them to believe that they had a shot to get through, or at least one of them would. I think they played the numbers game yesterday. And fortunate for Bill Belichick and Matt Groh and the Patriots brass up there in Foxborough, it ended up working out to their advantage. But it was definitely a risk. So essentially what you're saying is Bailey Zappi is basically still the backup quarterback in New England? Yeah, at this point, the plan right now, from what we're hearing from Foxborough, and this could change, it could change by the day, folks, so please continue to remember that this is all a work in progress, but what we're hearing right now is that Bailey Zappi is still considered Mac Jones' primary backup, and that Malik Cunningham will be on the practice squad for occasional call-ups or whatnot. Now, depending on how these guys practice, and depending on what the Patriots see from both of these players, that could change, but I think the one constant right now that you can bet on all, you know, with assuming good health for all three of these guys is that Mac Jones is the undisputed starter. Beyond that, I think everything else is still in flux. But right now, I would say Bailey is the backup, and Malik is your guy that you're going to um, activate on days where you need to carry three quarterbacks. Not quite sure how many quarterbacks they're going to need because when you look at the regular season opener for the Patriots, you're looking at a team that made it to the Super Bowl a year ago, the Philadelphia right. Eagles. So, and this is one of the league's best in elite defenses, one that led the NFL in sacks a year ago. So you know they're going to get after the quarterback. Mm -hmm. So you definitely have to have one active. I know that during the preseason, the Patriots one and two, and I really saw great flashes from Malik Cunningham. I know that he didn't line up at wide receiver a tremendous amount of time and or special teams, but you saw the flash in the pan, so to speak, in that first game that he demonstrated of the preseason. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Patriots are ecstatic that Malik Cunningham made it through waivers and that they're able to carry him on the practice squad. Look, there's a lot of electric talent in this kid. Being able to watch him align at receiver and then seeing what he can do at the quarterback position really fills you with a lot of hope and a lot of excitement for his potential. But he's still a rookie, and he's still going to make rookie mistakes, and there's still going to be things that need to be worked on. And I think that's why you saw the Patriots take the chance with him when it comes to the practice squad rather than roster him and keep him on the 53-man right off the bat. That being said, I think this kid has a great amount of potential. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to continue to do throughout the year, and I think he's going to be fun to watch. So um, keep a sharp eye out for Malik Cunningham. You're definitely not seeing him relegated to practice squad duty and little else. Uh, I think you may see him in game settings this year, and if you do, I think it's going to be fun for Patriots fans, and it's going to be productive for the Patriots on the field. Given what you just said, they're facing a lot of relentless pass rushes, and having a mobile quarterback that can play either in a gadget situation or, you know, maybe contribute a little uh, in goal line situations is going to be a big help for the Patriots this year. Another guy we're going to keep be keeping an eye on is Ezekiel Elliott, leaving the Dallas Cowboys and coming and joining the New England Patriots. What is his role in that offense going to look like this year? Well, Ramondre Stevenson is still the lead back. He's going to be the guy getting the ball on early downs. But if the Patriots decide to mix it up a little bit, Zeke can still give you that type of running prowess. So I'd look for him to get the ball on early downs only in situations that warrant it. What he's going to do mostly, I think, is be your third down option, maybe a backfield receiver at times. And I know a lot of fans are not going to like this, but I think you're going to see him align as a pass protection or a pass blocker on more uh, more often than not. I think you're going to see him align in that role, maybe even more than the touches that he gets because he's so good at doing it. And it's an area where the Patriots are very deficient without having someone like Ezekiel Elliott in that role. So he's going to be a major part of this team. Uh, and I think he's going to be a, a great uh, asset to them on goal line stands and in the red zone. He's still one of the best running backs in the NFL when it comes to red zone prowess. Uh, when the Patriots are down inside the 20, and especially inside the 10, look for Zeke to get a good number of carries. Of course, being right here in the south in Mobile, Alabama, we keep our eye on, on our former Auburn Tigers and Alabama Crimson Tide players. Jonathan Jones in the secondary coming out of Auburn, and of course, you look at anchoring the linebacking core, Mac Wilson Sr., along with Christian Barmore up front, and Anthony Jennings also from that Jack linebacker position. The expectations and the health of these former Alabama and Auburn players. Oh, I think you're looking at great help from all of them. All four of them had solid camps. Jonathan Jones did suffer a little bit of an injury. He was kind of on the shelf for a little while. Patriots taking a very temperate approach with him. But Jonathan is arguably, I think, the Patriots' most complete cornerback on this roster. Uh, I'm excited to watch Christian Gonzalez just like everyone else, and I think he's going to be great in this league. But Jonathan Jones is still the guy that plays every position on that secondary very well. He can play the perimeter. He can play in the slot, and he can even drop back and play a little hybrid 
uh, free safety if you need him to. He's done it all, uh, and he truly is one of the assets that the Patriots have in that defensive backfield. But you mentioned Barmore. You mentioned Mac Wilson, Anthony Jennings. These guys know how to get after the quarterback, and a lot of times what you'll see with these Patriots defenders and guys that have that Alabama uh, background, uh, they really know the system and they really understand that you don't just play this game vertically, you play it horizontally. And that sideline to sideline speed, especially in guys like Mac Wilson, is going to be such an asset for the Patriots this year. And I love what I'm seeing from Barmore. Look for a big leap from him uh, in year three in a Patriots uniform. And Anthony Jennings just continues to get better and better each time you see him. So, um, you know, that pipeline down in Alabama between Alabama and Auburn has done the Patriots a world of good. And I think it's going to do it again this year. Mike Diabate, lead Patriots reporter for Pat's country. And you look at Mike, I know that Nick was inquiring more about the New England Patriots to, to find out really where they're going to finish in the division because a lot of people are saying that they may finish last. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are looking at the prowess of the three teams that are ahead of them in the AFC East this year. And you're looking at the Buffalo Bills, defending champions the last three years running. Uh, you're looking at division champions, by the way, folks. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but AFC East champions, you've got to give them their due. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, a complete team on both sides of the ball. They're beefing up in so many areas. The New York Jets may be the most improved team in the NFL this year with Aaron Rodgers now calling signals in East Rutherford. So you're looking at three teams that are going to be very difficult to beat, explosive offenses and very good defenses. But the one thing that the Patriots always maintain is that puncher's chance because of Bill Belichick and the X's and O's he can put out on the field. He has a way of being able to make great offenses look pedestrian, uh, look mortal, I guess is the best way for me to put it. And that's going to be the challenge this year because if the Patriots are going to win and have success, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball complementing the offense and giving them opportunities they didn't have last year. Um, as far as where they're going to finish in the division, uh, I mean, they could finish as low as last. There's no question about it. But I think they could be right in the mix until the end because don't forget, all these teams have to play one another twice throughout the year. Uh, this AFC East is going to be one of the toughest divisions in football this year. Unenviable. Uh, whenever uh, there's an AFC East uh, matchup on the schedule, Big change from a few years ago when uh, it almost seemed like automatic wins going into New York and Buffalo. Not the case anymore at all. The Patriots got their hands full, but I think the other teams have their hands full too. It's going to be a real fun year uh, for fans of AFC East football. So you guys bring in Juju from the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs. Is there any way he can get back to those previous Pittsburgh Steelers type of production? or What does Juju look like in this offense, you think? Uh, Juju's been a breath of fresh air in this offense. Hasn't seen the field as much as we would like in the media or fans, uh, you know, watching because there's not a lot of sample size to really bite onto and report to the fan base and tell you exactly what he looks like. But in the limited time that we've seen him out there, he is one of the ideal type of receivers to play in a Bill O'Brien offense and also alongside Mac Jones, the type of guy that can make a catch in the intermediate part of the field and then give you yards after the catch. This is what Bill O'Brien is predicated on. This is the type of offense that Mac Jones is very good at running. So I think the addition of Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be big. 
They have to keep him healthy. They have to watch the knee. They have to make sure that he's capable of going and capable of giving them a full season. But if health is going is not going to be an issue, uh, he's going to mean a lot for this uh, offense this year. Really open things up in a way you definitely didn't see in 2022. Mike Diabate, lead Patriots reporter for the Patriots Country Fan Nation, and great insight on one of the weirdest transactions and cuts that I've ever seen in the National Football League from a QB1 standpoint and coming from who many consider the GOAT of all NFL coaches. So when you look at the pressure that's on the Patriots moving forward, we'll see if this pays off or to where, like you mentioned, being lucky that Cunningham and Zappi both cleared waivers and remained with the Patriots. Mike, how can people follow all of your coverage as we prepare for in a week and a half for NFL football regular season week one? Oh, well, thank you very much. And I, uh, you can catch me each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast, uh, which is available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Uh, subscribe uh, on LockedOnPodcast.com. Uh, and also, uh, you can catch all my written work on uh, Patriots country of Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation uh, each and every day. We're uh, continuing to update content by the minute as practice squad members come to the New England Patriots and they get ready for the Philadelphia Eagles in just a little over a week. Mike, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you as the season unfolds. Absolutely. Corey, Nick, thanks so much for having me on today. You guys have a great week. Thank you so much. Mike Diabate joining us here on the final drive, of course, covering the breaking news of yesterday with the roster cuts and didn't know at this time yesterday whether the Patriots were going to re-sign both Malik Cunningham and Bailey Zappi to the practice squad, but Zappy's my guy, man. That's my guy. It's supposed to be Bronner's guy, too, but he didn't even recognize him. Sitting right next to him. Yeah, I had to sit in between him because Michael was trying to get a little handsy. I was like, hey, (laughs) easy. His fiance is right there. (laughs) The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey, I got a question for you, man. Fire away. Would you say that you have any issue connecting with me? Nah, man, and we've only been together for less than a month. Yeah, so, well, Matt Stafford is having that issue. He's having problems connecting with the younger players in the locker room. Uh, His wife was quoted as saying that he just walks into the locker room and immediately everyone's just on their phone. They're on Twitter. They're on TikTok. And Matt Stafford, he feels like a dad, right? Or, you know, he probably feels like how Phillip Rivers feels (laughs) out there at St. Michael's. Is this bad news for the Rams here uh, this season? Or is it just really, really great news for Cooper Cup because he's not one of those young guys and he might have another record-breaking year? Bad news for the Rams, brother. I mean, Stafford entering year number 15 in the NFL. He's only 35 years old. Not even that old for an NFL quarterback. For When you look at him not being able to relate to the younger players – 
the the organization that he won a Super Bowl with looks totally different now. Only a couple of players remaining off of that team. And when you start disconnecting and you have relationships with people like Aaron Donald and Ernest Jones, the only two starting defenders who remain on that roster, it makes it tough for you to feel like you have true friends or you feel built bonds. But you look at the way in which the Rams won the Super Bowl, it was really from the ground up. They just continued to plateau, and it was built over a period of time with one another. And the friendship, some happen instantaneously, some do not. But really, it, I would have been more concerned if this came out of Stafford's mouth instead of his wife's mouth. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, if Matt Stafford went on the record saying that, I can only imagine. Because you know all those kids in the locker room on their phone, they would have seen it immediately once it started going viral on Twitter. And I'm sure they already have seen it. If you and I have seen it, you know that those young guys in that Rams locker room have seen it. And look, I'm not high on the Rams this year. I think it's the Niners and the Seahawks right behind them in that division. But the Cardinals are going to be horrible. But I don't think the Rams are going to be that bad. But I don't necessarily think they're going to be much better. Stetson Bennett, another former Georgia Bulldog quarterback on that roster, says, I don't have a problem relating to Stafford. Feels like Stafford can relate to him as well. Just looks him as a mentor. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You're able to see Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers isn't have, having any trouble relating to Sauce Garner or anyone else on that New York Jets roster. But I tell you who we're relating to, George Teague. The former Alabama Crimson Tide great played in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys. His weekly segment with us here on the final drive. Teague's take will be coming up next here on the final drive. The Sound of Mobile presents For the, win. the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. To the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joined by a classic man. He's also an Alabama man, former All-American for the Crimson Tide, number one three. George Teague joins us again this afternoon. George, how's it going, my friend? Man, you should see me. I had to sit down because I started dancing when you played my little theme music there for a minute. So <laughs> I had to remember I was on the radio and no one could see me right now. So Even okay, more reason to dance, stuff. man. Even more reason to dance because we can't see you. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I, thank I, you guys for having me on, man. It, I appreciate it. it. Our pleasure. And, and we, we've talked a little bit about Deion Sanders today. And, you know, I know he was your former teammate. Did, did y'all ever have those dance contests, a little two-step with Deion? And did, did, do you have better dance moves in the end zone than Primetime did? <laughs> uh, 
No, I will say there wasn't a lot of dancing going on. There's one thing that does happen in the locker rooms, regardless of what guys say. There's always competition at everything. Dominoes, dancing, how fast you can eat, maybe how good you can barbecue. It doesn't matter. We're always doing something. Um, but dealing with prime time and him high-stepping and doing his, I don't even know what it's called, the, the old-fashioned gritty, I guess, that he used to do. Um you know, he he was the king um, of that, and I love to watch him celebrate when he got an interception. So, Dion, you know, obviously he's the media darling. His intensity, the media just can't get enough of him and what he's doing in Colorado. Did he have that same type of persona and intensity when you guys were playing together? Yeah, absolutely he did. Um, so, from a I, I, I remember vividly. Well, let me tell you this. The first time I met Dion, I was with Coach Mike. Zimmer um, when I first came to the Dallas Cowboys and uh, for some reason Dion was in the meeting with me and coach because he was giving me a crash course of how to um, cover someone or how to play the defense and so Mike Zimmer who was a uh, defensive back coach at that time um, was telling me where I needed to be and it was so funny because Dion would take the pen away from him erase what he had on the board and say, no, George, I don't want you there. I need you here. And then they would start fussing and arguing a little bit <laughs> while I'm sitting there watching. And then the next play would go, and he's like, George, you need to be here on this coverage, blah, blah, blah. Dion would take the pen and erase it. No, <laughs> that's not where you need to be. When you're on my side, you need to be here. And then they fuss and, you know, a little bit. Get. So it's kind of funny in my first introduction to him because he knew where he needed his help at and how he could go um, – entice some people but his personality was like that he was fun in the classroom um he was always a giver he was a jokester you know um but he's very serious i also learned from him a lot of things of how to uh study film uh he was way ahead of the curve he had his own little special machine that he used to break down film and that's when i really realized how good he was because he he broke down film so good on individual players so he knew what their weaknesses were and that helped elevate me to a new game man m moment of silence for that defensive backs coach and that defensive coordinator at colorado because you know <laughs> dion is definitely got to do it the prime time way w w where do you see uh, that colorado team going this year you think they're gonna have some success i think vegas has them at about three and a half wins I think it's going to be hard for him, man. I know there's a lot of hype, and you know he's had some guys move, but um, I think I think it's going to be a struggle. And I hope people don't turn their back on him if it does happen that way. I just I'm I'm really worried about the depth that they're going to have across the board. You know, injuries happen. Maybe someone doesn't live up to it. I mean, they're coming out to shoot straight at TCU. You know, it just came off of something, and uh, this, this, his opening game is going to be critical. Uh, by it, so I'm. Although I'm rooting for him, for my friend, my buddy, I am terrified that you know he's going to get in the middle of the year and and things aren't going to be looking up. Now I did say I thought he'd win five or six games um, going through this schedule. I think maybe could could get there if they out coach some people, but if he doesn't stay healthy, particularly in his linemen it could get ugly pretty fast. Well, I'll tell you what's not going to get ugly is the Alabama Crimson Tide's season this year. I'm just going to go out on that limb and say, unlike 
my co-host here, Nick Wiggins. He, he He's not too high on the Crimson Tide this year. I think Nick says maybe 9-3 and three for Alabama no, this year. I said 10-2. for the Crimson Tide this year. But I, I will say that when you look from a former defensive back standpoint, of course, you playing at that elite level in college and then moving on to the professional ranks. There's a young true freshman in, in Alabama's backfield that a lot of people are going to get introduced to if they didn't see the spring game, if they haven't heard all of the hype. Caleb Downs is just one of those guys who is considered that dude and moving forward he's going to have an opportunity if he stays healthy to possibly go down as if the hype he lives up to one of the greatest defensive backs outside of yourself <laughs> I appreciate that but first I need to know what Nick is talking about I need to know which two teams he said we're going to lose to first oh, of all <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can uh, we can talk about that afterwards but right. you know I, I, I Caleb Downs, man, this dude is impressive, super impressive. Yeah, he, I mean, if you haven't really gone and watched his film, you need to make sure you go and watch that because it's easy to see talent when people are so much further ahead of that. So to be able to come in as a true freshman like that, I think he is going to shake up some things. And I, I'm glad to – I'm saying shake up as in being a dominant force um, in our secondary because we need him to be um, – being a defensive back, obviously, I have a little bit of favoritism to it, right? Is that my disclaimer that I need to put in right now? <laughs> um, but it is key to what is happening in college football that you need to have good safeties. you got to have good corners, but your safeties have to be so people that can do things around those slot guys, play around the ball and things of that nature. And Caleb Downs bring everything to the table. He can play the ball. You know he can score. He did some running back stuff. I mean, you don't become a All-American or, you know, Gatorade, top, everything, because you're some slacker. This dude is a real deal. Um, I think he can have an immediate impact um, and be a trendsetter uh, early, early. Middle Tennessee, let's go ahead and see, <laughs> you know, what's up with my guy. All right, George, I'll let you know who I think Alabama is going to lose to, and I'll give you the opportunity to, you know, prove me wrong. I think that Alabama is going to lose to Texas. I think they're catching them a little early. I don't think that they're going to have their lineup set and ready for where it needs to be like Texas does, and I think they're going to lose to LSU this year. That's the two losses I think they're going to take. Okay. Then, yes. So, Texas, I disagree with you on this one. I think that um, because of the way that we played last year, and I was at that game in Austin, um, and we probably should have lost that one last year. And because of that, I think that there's been so much more um, preparation. No, we're not looking past Middle Tennessee and all that. But all offseason, I promise you, they're watching film and trying to figure out this is going to be our best game. And we 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 have to play better than we did last year against Sark and his team. So I think they're going to be more prepared. I think the guys are, you know, they were just starting to get a little bit embarrassed because we couldn't stop them. Thank God uh, quarterback got hurt or we probably would have lost that game. So I just think between Nick Saban's planning for a whole year Anytime you get this kind of stuff, it will be a different outcome. That's why I think we beat Texas. Um, LSU, I can, I, I'll go 50-50 with you on that one. Right. And so that's why I would say maybe a one-loss um, team, but not two. Yeah, two losses 
is too, too many for Nick Saban as they witnessed one year ago. And I, I also, you being a defensive guy, a very interesting conversation we had here on the final drive yesterday in pulling up from FS1 and Undisputed, the playmaker, Michael Irvin, got into it a little bit about what is the harder position to play, wide receiver or corner? Of course, you being a secondary guy yourself, why is it that people say that one is harder to play than the other? It's simple in my mind, honestly. And I tell this to Mike, my buddy, maybe I need to text him right now or something, but defensive back, cornerback is definitely harder. First of all, we start off going backwards. We don't know where we're going. They know where they're going, and they have some adjustments to try to make. So we are reactionary to everything that people have to do, where they know where they're going, and they got some adjustments that if you try to cut them off or do something. So that automatically, in my mind, makes it more difficult because I, I got to guess every single play, unless I'm blitzing. You know, <laughs> those guys, it's an out. An out is an out. They're going to go 10 yards, they're going to turn left or turn right. <laughs> they're going to go 15 to 18 at an angle and come back, you know. Um, so it's, it's it's easier for them to do that. Now, I'm not naive enough to say, well, they still got to get hit. There's some other pieces. Yeah, I understand that. But do you know as a corner when someone like uh, J.C. Latham is coming around pulling and trying to hit you as a screen, what that looks like and what that feels like? <laughs> that's a a pretty hard feat. I can remember in the pros when Larry Allen would come out and try to hit us, you know, the all-pro guard. Uh, they were all the Hall of Fame guard. That was unbelievable. There's, there's no way I was going to take him on. You can't even hit him in the knee anyway because he's probably going to break your neck on how big he is and that kind of stuff. So, fellas, it is harder to play cornerback than it is wide receiver. All right, and there you have it from the the one that can speak on it. If there is one, George Teague, legend, legendary Alabama cornerback, uh, host of Teague's Take. You can find that on YouTube. George, Nick Saban's been being a little coy, I would say, with his depth chart, not saying who's starting, who's backing up. Even here we are, week one, game week, still know nothing. Did you ever have any issues with depth charts, uh, you know, when you were coming around? I know you were probably always number one, but I'd like to hear your perspective on it. Uh, you mean as far as where I actually played or my coach trying to hide something? Um, because for me, he, uh, I was thinking about this before the show, actually. Um, you know, what are the pressures of a freshman um, or a first-year starter? Um, and so – when I came, you know, I knew I was probably going to be – I didn't even know if I was going to be redshirted or not, actually, because my time was different. So just to be able to not be redshirted was a pretty big deal to me. It wasn't necessarily having to be the starter. I just wanted to be on the the team to travel, <laughs> you know, um, kind of thing. So my pressures were kind of um, different there. Um, and you kind of pretty much knew that this is where you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to do it. When I – in my time uh, as a player, we didn't really have controversial stuff. You knew Jay Barkowitz, quarterback, and you laugh. It was a number one guy. You knew who our bookends were. You knew who the secondary people were. So we didn't have to really hide anything. Um, I think Nick Saban's strategy is right going into this. I, I think it would mean more if it were, if we weren't playing no 
I'm not putting slight on Middle Tennessee. Okay. But if we were playing Texas this week, I'd be trying to hold this stuff to the last minute just because there's a little bit of advantage there on how do you actually prepare because you got to prepare different from a uh, Jalen Milrow than a Tyler Buckner or a Ty Simpson. You'd, you'd have to prepare different. Your defenses might look different for them. Um, I don't know if it's going to make that much of a difference if you're playing someone who should not really be in the game with you that much. So I understand the principles of it. Hey, we just want to leave it. You know, it looks like maybe we're uncertain. But at this point, I would prefer that you go ahead and say, here's our depth chart, uh, press members. This is what we're rolling out there with right now, particularly the quarterback. This is our quarterback. That's good for the team to be able to hear that as well. So do you think that the whoever the starting Alabama quarterback is, he, he already knows that he's the starter and we're just the media and the public being left in the dark? Um, yes, <laughs> I do think they know. Um, I think that – so as a high school coach, I've had this before, right, um, where we I had a lot of good quarterbacks on my team or – average quarterbacks, <laughs> maybe I should put it that way, that, where they all could play. And so um, kind of like track or something, we had runoffs, right? We had something, hey, I need. To, I don't want to make this decision until till Wednesday. You know, you're going to have to reps on Monday. We'll flip-flop. You give the other group on Tuesday. Then Wednesday I'm going to say who's going to um, start for a Friday game I'm talking about. Um, but in this case – They've had so much off-season work, spring football, this kind of stuff. I think they know who's going to be the quarterback. I'll make a prediction. You didn't ask me. I think Jada Miro is going to be the quarterback. I'll even go uh, with a uh, – uh, what do you call it? Uh, bolder prediction. He also has 150 yards rushing and 275 yards passing. Damn. I love it. I love it, George, and, and I love it because Alabama's favored by 39. If he has those type of numbers, that's Make it 49. Ahead. Make it 49. <laughs> We're good to go with those type of numbers. Man, that's that. Now, that's a, a bold prediction, right? You can hold me to it. I'm going to go out there and say that again. You never know. I'll be watching, too, to see who strolls out there on the, on the first play. But um, I think we'll be good um, in either direction. I just think. Jalen Miro and his um, true dual threat um, ability, and he he has gotten better throwing the ball. Um, so um, I'd be interested to see if he's he's really the guy or not. So I, I think that he's going to have every opportunity to play the first couple of series without question, and I'm hoping that he'll get at least three series in to where there's not three points on the board. It, it results in touchdowns to where Alabama's able to march up and down the field, and he'll able to truly do what Nick Saban has asked all the quarterbacks in the room to do. He's asked all the quarterbacks to make me play you. Make me play you not only in this opening season game, but make me play you as the starter in preparation for the Texas Longhorns. And I, I, I know that a lot of game preparation has been seen by you in the film room. And what's also interesting, George, is when you were a part of the Alabama Crimson Tide, one of the funniest stories I've heard come out of that 92 national championship team is by your other corner to – to it's called Antonio Langham. That name, when – Antonio Langham talked with us here on the final drive. He said, 
all the time people call him George Teague. Do you have that problem to where people come up to you and say, Antonio Langham, that was a great play you made in the Southeastern Conference Championship or in the National Championship, and they find a way to get you two guys mixed up? Absolutely. I don't even know why, because I do not look like that ugly joker. I promise you I don't look like him. <laughs> so, uh, but for some reason we do. They think I'm, uh, I don't even know how, I don't know how we get us confused. Uh, I really don't. But it does happen. They're always talking about being the SEC championship and um, picking off that pass. And I guess the only difference between me and Antonio Lang was that when they, you know, try to get him to come do an autograph session. He just takes the money and go ahead and sign my name. I never did that for Antonio <laughs> Lego. I couldn't do that, but it is kind of, it, it's cool just to be able to have it 4 3, 13, you know. Um, okay, maybe you can get us confused, but dude, I didn't even run like that dude, man. I don't, oh, man. It's, it's, the only thing you guys had in common is both of you guys had an opportunity to make it to the NFL and both wore crimson and white and, and made huge plays on that 92 Alabama National Championship team. And I know not only will you have National Championship memories on Teague's take this evening on YouTube, but let our listeners know how and when they can tune in to, to get even more insight on the Alabama Crimson Tide as they prepare for Middle Tennessee and all the other great tidbits that you're going to be coming up with on Teague's Take. Man, we got a great lineup this year. It's awesome. We do have Teague's Take. We do a live show at 8.15 Central Time on Wednesday evenings. Me and my son actually co-host this, and he's, he's probably more like Nick, right? He's very analytical. you got to have all the stats and all these kind of things, and that's how my, my son is. We're going to be starting episode four, I mean, sorry, season four, actually next Wednesday, and it's going to change because we're going to be talking all Alabama football all year long. You definitely want to check it in. Check in if you can't. Find us live. You can find it on your podcast channel and listen to it after that. We're going to have good people on, though. Uh, not a, a lot of analysts around the football culture, Alabama football culture. Uh, Ryan Fowler out of Tuscaloosa, you know, uh, Aaron Suttles. Uh, going to even have some former players on. So it, it'll be a good time. Uh, we'll talk for a good hour and uh, going to be covering Alabama football. So come on and check us out, man. It'll be great. You can also go to georgeteague.com, check out that resume and that profile on this Alabama Sports Hall of Famer along with at Teague's Take. At Teague's Take is how you can catch him on Teague's Takes podcast on YouTube. And, of course, you can follow George Teague at Teague Football as well on X or Twitter, whichever one you would like to call it. George, looking forward to our weekly segment Teague's additional takes, and I know there'll probably be a lot of hot takes coming out of Saturday's game with Middle Tennessee as the Crimson Tide prepare for a nationally ranked Texas Longhorn team that's coming into T-Town next Saturday. I am so much looking forward to it. I can't thank you guys enough for this opportunity. I do look forward to being here every week and uh, bringing that fire for everybody so we can uh, we can do this. So thank you guys for your time, and I look forward to talking to you guys very, very soon. That's right, 150 rushing yards, right? That's what I said, 150 yards rushing. All I right. think uh, 70 of them going to come on one. Love it. <laughs> Big burst by 
Bob Mill Roll. Mm -hmm. The Crimson Tide will roll on Saturday and will continue to roll with George Teague every Wednesday here on WNSP 105.5. Alabama Sports Hall of Famer and former national champion George Teague joining us here on the final drive every week every single wednesday you don't want to miss that as we'll be right back here on the final drive this is charlie father from the university of alabama you listen to 105.5 wnsp roll time Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I want to thank George Teague for giving us Teague's take here on the final drive. And again, as Alabama prepares for Middle Tennessee, Nick, we'll see not only will your prediction be right about the two losses by Alabama as well as Milrow's production, because I promise you, if Milrow produces that way, that I'm thinking right along the same numbers as Teague, 150 and 150 could be possible for him. Without question, he would definitely be named starter number one going into the Texas game with the Crimson Tide. And being ranked number one, there's always a lot of pressure. And the Alabama sports writers' polls came out for high school football. Of course, we just finished up week zero. And Thompson remains atop the 7A poll no question about them being the top program, really probably one of the best in the entire state of Alabama. But MGM stays right there at number nine. Foley comes in at 10. So now you have two 7-8 teams from our area ranked in the top 10. Baker receives some votes and some interest there, as well as Fairhope, both of them being 1-0. and And in Class 6A, the Spartans, the defending state champions, remain number one. They'll be taking on the Murphy Panthers on Friday night at Lad Peebles Stadium. Theodore drops to number eight. Spanish Ford also receiving votes. And in 5A, Charles Henderson's number two. Why do I bring up Charles Henderson, Nick? Because your MGM Vikings will be traveling to Troy tomorrow night, a Thursday night kickoff game to play the number two 5A ranked team in the state of Alabama. And Charles Henderson coming off a state championship appearance a year ago to where they received a red map instead of the blue map. But MGM getting a chance to see what it's like playing against 5A's top competition. Lots of proof there, man. Lots of proof. Golson's got those guys looking good. They looked really good against Williamson at Ladd on Friday. So... This is going to be a big test for sure. Faith Academy comes in at four. UMS Wright is at six. Gulf Shores in the top ten at number eight in 5A. In Class 4A, of course, when you look at T.R. Miller being number nine in Bayside Academy, considering some votes also. In Class 3A, Mobile Christian comes in at number five, and we don't have a tremendous number of 1A and 2A teams down this way is besides with the exception of Leroy being number one in 1A. So it's going to be a lot of fun here with high school football week number one coming off week zero. I still don't understand that configuration there. I'll just go with what it is. It's officially the second week of high school football kicking off Any- tomorrow night. 
any big games here locally that you're really wanting to keep your eye on that, that's got you intrigued? Yeah, Viger BC Rain is going to be a huge 5A Region 1 matchup. That's going to determine to me who gets that fourth and final spot at the end of the season. Mark my words on that, Nick Wiggins. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive. We're about an hour and a half in, got an hour and a half to go, and you know that we're getting ready for some good stuff when Corey starts mixing that crystal light into the water bottle. Yeah. You know we're ready. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's great stuff. Got to stay hydrated, man, even though it's a little bit cooler That's right. Is that, is that pink lemonade or is it, that grapefruit? It, it, it's going to be the pink lemonade brand. What? I never understood. What's the difference between pink lemonade and regular lemonade? So pink lemonade gives you kind of a different taste in your mouth than the lemonade does. Lemonade, of course, with the bite off of lemons with a little sugar in it, but the pink lemonade, it, 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 it's it's probably a different, it's not as tangy okay. as the lemonade is. All right. So I, I definitely will rock with it for sure. And I, I tell you, when you're trying to make a 53-man roster and you're trying to rock with a 53-man making of it, 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 it's so hard to do. And you see so many kids wanting to chase their dreams. And, and we can't say it enough here. The lo local WNSP radio covers local high school athletes. Again, better than anyone that, that eventually you see playing not only starring on Saturdays, but on Sundays as well. And that's what you absolutely love to see. We'll, we'll start here as far as from a 251 standpoint. We'll go with practice squad members. LaMichael P. Ryan, of course, we know LaMichael P. Ryan, outstanding running back at Theodore. Many people say one of the, the best Theodore running backs ever to come through Theodore High School. Of course, being on the practice squad with the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. And to make a practice squad, not only is it bad, not bad money, it, it's an opportunity to where you're one injury away from making that official roster. And I would much rather go ahead and be on a practice squad than not having an opportunity and waiting on that phone call from my agent saying, hey, make sure you stay in shape sure, because I mean, you never know when you're going to get that call. I mean, look at Jeremy Reeves, right, from South Alabama. What, he bounced around three different practice squads, and here he is last year making his first Pro Bowl. So, look, a lot of great players start at the practice squad. It's, that's where you find out who's really hungry and who really wants it and how you can separate yourself from the rest of the pack. One of the former South Alabama Jaguars as well, Kawan Baker. I know we'll be talking with Ross Jackson at 5 o'clock about the official Saints roster, but Kawan Baker, he, he gets cut by the Saints, and we'll see. I know in the past he has been on the Saints practice squad, so we'll see if he returns. But the Baltimore Ravens, locally Jalen Armour Davis, from St. Paul's, he does make that roster. Michael Pierce, big defensive end from Daphne. That's another notable name as well when you look at him. Valus Jones Jr., we remember him prepping at Saraland, of course, with the Bears. He does make 
the Bears roster and is able to stay there also. And I I just love the fact that the Cowboys and Jalen Tolbert from McGill Tulin is going to get a chance to to see him a lot more for America's team. And, And he's a young man that given an opportunity to to regain his confidence, I think that he's going to wind up being a phenomenal player for Dallas. Jimmy Ward, safety at Davidson High School, coming out of Houston. So you still have him being able to play and participate again. Hashtag 251 as you continue to go down. Kansas City Chiefs, Neil Farrell Jr. We mentioned him yesterday being traded to the Kansas City Chiefs, along with Kadarius Toney, now his teammate in Kansas City. So that is definitely two guys who know one another. The Las Vegas Raiders drafted Jacorian Bennett from McGill Tulin. He is a part of that. And the Chargers, Gerald Everett, we know Gerald Everett being a Super Bowl champion, formerly of South Alabama. He continues to remain on that roster. He has somebody from the 251 that joined him the hard way. A.J. Finley goes undrafted, and he finds his way on a roster. So congratulations to him for certain. Cordell Flott, one of those defensive backs for the New York Giants from Saraland High School. He's another young man that continues to have his dreams chased. The Jets, we've mentioned Bryce Huff, the defensive end from St. Paul's, C.J. Mosley, the linebacker from Alabama and Theodore High School, also continuing to pursue his dreams. So many great and talented players that have come from right here in Mobile, Alabama. Roger McCreary Jr., of course, drafted by the Tennessee Titans, having an opportunity to start year number two. And then I mentioned Eric Guerra on the practice squad with the Tennessee Titans and also Cephas Johnson III on the practice squad for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if you say you love local, then you sit there and you watch high school football on Friday nights, go over to college, and then you see the success in the NFL. All those guys I just named, products of the high school system here in Mobile, Alabama, or formerly of South Alabama, and the great job that Kane Womack in this young infancy program has done producing professionals. That's right, man. Look, Mobile, we do it different, man. Mobtown Mafia strong, man. Like, the proof is in the pudding. We're putting out some good talent, and we got a lot of good talent on the way, right? We got, you know, uh, your Sterling Dixon, your Ryan Williams. You got all these guys. that They're next up. You're going to be hearing their names on Sundays, uh, most likely, potentially, so... Look, shout out uh, Mobile, shout out everything we got going on, and shout out everyone who made the cut, and if you didn't make the cut, hey, don't give up. You just got to make the next one. And I'll tell you who is going to be a factor, too, in the NFL, who we haven't heard a lot from since probably July 27th, one Joe Burrow. Mm. Joe Burrow makes his return to the Cincinnati Bengals practice field today and that's something that I know a lot of Bengals fans were happy to see because when he goes down in early practices with a lower leg injury 
they were calling it a calf, but sometimes you, you, you tend to hide things, and we'll see him have an opportunity to to really make a difference for the Cincinnati Bengals. But can you imagine where the Cincinnati Bengals would have been had Joe Burrow gone down and been out for a few weeks before the NFL season even gets started? Yeah, I mean, they signed Will Greer, former Cowboys quarterback, who I think got the boot because of Trey Lance coming in. So maybe that's who you would have been seeing week one. Uh, I know that Jamar Chase had said, look, even if you're healthy, I don't want you to play till week four just to be safe. But, man, you know, you got some tough matchups in this first four games. You're going to be starting off playing Deshaun Watson, who's now, you know, hopefully you would think would get back to his normal self uh, in week one against the Browns. Then you got a really tough matchup against the Ravens week two. Maybe a little easier with the Rams week three. And then the Titans, man, they always play everybody tough there in week four. So you need Joe Burrow for those games. And it seems like Joe Burrow is ready. So good for Cincinnati, good for their fans, and good for their players. Cincy and Cleveland, one of those matchups that are always fun to watch if you're a historian of the NFL. Baltimore, Cincinnati, man, what more can you say about this division robbery and when you have the Rams coming and seeing the Bengals in week three, I'm I'm thinking that the Bengals, yeah, I'm not going to say that they're going to get out that Baltimore game in week two, but I, I see through their first four contests, they can easily be three and one. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right, man. Um, the Browns are hard to predict. That's a tough division right there. Uh, you know, we always talk about the Chiefs division being really tough with the Chargers in there but look the Raiders and the Broncos what are the Broncos going to be this year and the Raiders what the heck are they going to be this year but look the Browns are a good team Deshaun Watson is a good quarterback there's a reason he was the highest paid quarterback and they made that big deal because we know what Deshaun Watson can do you got Nick Chubb out there one of the best running backs in the NFL Amari Cooper I mean he's still legit and that defense is stout so that's tough the Ravens I've said I'm really high on the Ravens. You got Odell now. You got Zay Flowers now. Lamar has gotten paid. They signing Clowney. That looks good. And then the Steelers. The Steelers have the potential to have one of the best defenses in the league. What can Kenny Pickett do? What can Najee Harris do? Najee Harris did not have a good year last year. I say, well, let's just be honest. He didn't have a good year last year. He got a lot of touches, but he didn't do a lot with it. Hopefully he can bounce back, but... That is a tough division to get through. But if anyone can, the Bengals, they got all this stuff to make it happen. AFC North and Pittsburgh, to me, is going to have the best opportunity because when you look at what Pickett has been able to do in the preseason and the way that he's playing, I think that I'm really high on the Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I'm not saying that they are going to go to the Super Bowl, but I do think that as far as them, the Ravens, you mentioned how tough this AFC North division is. I expect Cleveland to finish at the bottom of it, but that early matchup, Baltimore and Cincinnati, you can't afford to go to sleep at the wheel, and you definitely need a healthy Joe Burrow, not only in that opening game versus Cleveland, but especially in week two for the Ravens defense that always gets after you. I'm surprised that that is the noon game on Sunday, that Ravens-Bengals matchup, because the next week, the Monday night football game is Bengals-Rams. Um, now, that's a Super Bowl rematch, right? Um, 
But, I mean, the Rams, come on, they're not going to be doing much. No, I, I'm not looking for much from the Rams, especially when you have a quarterback who has really been disconnected the way that we talked about earlier in the show with Matt Stafford and the leadership there. I don't know if it was in his first year that, hey, look, I, I'm just surrounded by a bunch of guys who embrace me. I'm, I'm so happy that I got out of Detroit and I'm so happy I'm going to show you, Detroit, what you're missing out on. But that Super Bowl ring you'll never be able to take from Stafford. I just, I, Nick, I don't know why and how the Rams just evaporated so quickly because Bill Belichick mentioned it the other day about sustaining the dynasty. What do you expect us to do? Do you expect us to win every year? I think that if you're a Patriots fan, you can become a little spoiled as far as the number of Super Bowls that the GOAT Tom Brady was able to bring your franchise. And you look at the Patriots, yes, the Patriots weren't that good last year. But and you're going to have to restructure and rebuild. The NFL is not like college football to yeah. where you can continue to bring in four- and five-star athletes year in and year out because that salary cap and people wanting to bolt and make more money is probably more vital than the transfer portal is. It's more poisonous than the transfer portal is because you're actually able to make that money in the NFL and go chase that bag and support your family for the rest of your lives with that guaranteed money that you're going to get if you're a superstar player. Well, look, in that Rams Super Bowl roster, man, that was one of the highest-paid rosters. Let me just run down this, and you'll probably say, wow, I I forgot all those guys were on there. How did they even pay for that? Matt Stafford's your quarterback. Your receiving core is Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. All right, you go to the defensive line. There's Aaron Donald. Your linebackers, you remember Von Miller was there. Your cornerback, Jalen Ramsey. Like, those are all people who are the best at their position, all on a team together. Very rarely does that happen. The Rams made it happen that one year. They got a Super Bowl out of it, but now they're paying the price. Absolutely, and I I just – they are paying that price. But they ultimately – was the price right? Was it worth it? I say, heck yeah, it was worth it because you were able to bring a Super Bowl championship to your franchise, and that being quickly with Matt Stafford at the quarterback position. Now you're looking at different players going different places for the money reasons. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Uh, This is Tim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this hump day Wednesday edition of the final drive. And this past Saturday, night viger took on blunt at lad people stadium and you get a chance to look out there at the uniforms that were being worn and saw a lot of future ones gear on the sidelines and our next guest trent massey one of the founders of future ones joins us trent how's it going man it is going great Corey. what a uh, i'm glad some of this weather's cooling off a little bit for high school football 
no doubt about it. I know that you had an opportunity to probably witness and see some high school football yourself this past week, but Future Ones is always on the breaking edge and making sure not only from an athletic apparel, but from an equipment standpoint. And I know you see a lot of these parks and recreations that are in need of bleachers or additional seating. You guys can order bleachers. You guys can order the equipment, the chalk that goes on painting these fields, anything that you can need from an athletic standpoint, equipment or apparel, Future Ones can provide. That's right. That's that's what we can do. Uh, we we sell a lot of that, those items all across the state and uh, throughout the country, actually. So, um, yeah, we can we can do it all from apparel to field equipment to uh, business apparel, polos, uh, custom uh, apparel. So uh, that's that's what we do. Well, that's not only what you do, you guys. When you look at the fact that you can be customized from head to toe. That includes tennis shoes. Of course, you can go with your school-rated and branded logo on your shoes from a coaching standpoint, from a church standpoint. Any logo that you would need or any brand that you would like to represent, you can do so. That's the great versatility that Future Ones does provide. Yeah, you know, when we started this this process or this journey, uh, one thing that we set out to do was uh, really try to never tell anybody that we can't do something. So as we grew the business, um, people would come to us, hey, what could you do this? And we're like, yeah, we can do that. And then we turn around and go, how are we going to do this? And we just figured it out. So that's kind of how we've been able to uh, be able to customize a lot of different things. And so, like I said, shoes, apparel, um, hats. Uh, custom, you know, bucket hats when it comes to um, uh, shoes and cleats and all those things. So we just, uh, we've never really said that, no, we can't do that, which, you know, is, is not always good, but uh, most of the time we're able to service the customer and fulfill all of their needs. So that's that's what we're here to do. Without question. Trent, can't thank you enough. How can people reach out and learn more about Future Ones? Yeah, you can shoot us an email at sales at futureones.com. You can go to the web at futureones.com. That's the word future, the number one, and an S, futureones.com. Or you can call 877-583-0747. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. Trent Massey from Future Ones joining us this afternoon here on The Final Drive. We'll be right back to start our number three. The Sound of Mobile presents For the, win. the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. 
Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Wednesday evening. And we want to encourage you to download the free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. And you're able to correspond with us here on the app. And we read those questions and comments that you have over the app and try to get those answered as well. And our next guest joins us fresh off the New Orleans Saints cut line yesterday. Ross Jackson joins us locked on the New Orleans Saints. And Ross, yesterday across the NFL, it was cut time, and the Saints were able to go ahead and whittle that roster down to 53. Really, to me, the only shock was earlier in the week when the Saints trade their kicker Lutz to Denver, but outside of that, were there any was there anything else that really made you say, hmm? Yeah, I think the the only other one besides uh, the Bradley Roby, or excuse me, besides the Will Lutch trade, which is something we had kind of toyed with being a potential, so that one wasn't super super surprising. But it was one of those ones where it was like, even though we kind of knew it would be possible, we were all still kind of surprised by it, if that makes sense, because uh, you know it just didn't seem like something that New Orleans Saints would do, but. There they go. Now they're going to have an undrafted free agent rookie, a very talented one as their kicker, and a very talented one as their punter as well. So they, they went to both of the young legs there. Uh, but the other one that was a bit surprising for everybody was the uh, the cut of uh, Bradley Roby, the veteran uh, slot corner, who is a player that the Saints have enjoyed having on their roster over the course of the past couple of years. And one of the reasons why it was so ex- you know why it was so sort of exceptional that they had made that that decision. Uh, is that I don't know, I didn't really think that they had the depth at the position to get that done. Now, they have an immensely talented young player in Alante Taylor who's going to have to step into that role, which is going to be effectively brand new for him. We'll see how he excels there, or, or we'll see how he adjusts there. Uh, but it is a big challenge for, for uh, Alante Taylor. We spoke to him in the locker room yesterday. He says he's up for it, ready to be the best starting uh, slot corner in the NFL. And I'm looking forward to seeing him be able to turn the corner there for sure. Ross, did I did I see this right? Is the Saints' new punter was he like a tattoo artist in Australia or something like that? Buddy, um, uh, the the Saints' new punter is is quite literally the most interesting man in the world. Um, he is he is a an Australian born play football player uh, who worked in scaffolding and construction for many many years. Uh, went on to open a uh, a tattoo shop in Bali. Uh, and then went to the University of Miami and became a punter. And while he was at the University of Miami as a punter, he was wearing, I think it was number 91, if I remember correctly, which was The Rock's number. Because remember, Dwayne Johnson actually played college football at the University of Miami for the Hurricanes. And then now he's the New Orleans Saints 30-year-old undrafted rookie punter. He is quite literally the most interesting player in the NFL and, and a joy, like just a joy to talk to also wanted to ask you in the offseason, I asked you about Kawan Baker from right here, University of South Alabama, trying to find things to make things work for him. I know he did not make the 53-man roster. He had been on the Saints practice squad maybe in 2021. What is it going to take for Kawan Baker, or is his time done with the Saints organization? 
I wouldn't say his time's done. Um, he's somebody that the Saints really enjoy, not only his ability to be able to contribute as a receiver, but also to be able to contribute as a, a special teamer, I think, is something that keeps him firmly in the uh, focus of the New Orleans Saints. We're going to see a lot of jostling. Like The Saints have their 53-man roster set right now. They have their 16-man practice squad set for now. Uh, we're still waiting on confirmation on the or, or official announcements of the additions of cornerback Anthony Johnson as well as running back Jordan Mims. But outside of that, you know, everybody's confirmed, and the New Orleans Saints put out their uh, put out their report on it. But you know, once once we figure that out, that that should settle what that roster is going to look like—the 53 plus the 16—and and we'll see. You know, the Saints have the option over the course of the next couple of weeks now to start. Now that we're beyond the deadline here, the Saints can start to move players to injured reserve and have them only need to miss the first four weeks of the season as opposed to ending their season, things like that. And so that's going to open up some potential spots that could open uh, depending on Traquan Smith's health, depend, health, excuse me, depending on Landon Young's health, all of that. So I think that the Saints, uh, you know, certainly wouldn't close the door on him. He knows the system. He hasn't been somebody that has produced consistently as a wide receiver since he was drafted, but he was the first wide receiver that the Saints had drafted for about three years. They drafted Traquan Smith, and then about three years later, they drafted Kwan Baker. So they clearly liked him. They clearly like him because they've continued to bring him back. But uh, but he is a player that right now is kind of on the outskirts but could potentially get a phone call if the New Orleans Saints have a spot that opens up. Jimmy Graham scored in the preseason, and instead of a dunk, he goes with the jelly layup. And now Jimmy Graham <laughs> is here making the roster. What does his role look like on this uh, Saints team this year. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, uh, you know, a big part of his role is exactly what you saw on that three-yard touchdown. You think back to the last time that he scored a touchdown in the city of New Orleans. That would have been in uh, 2014, if I remember correctly. And that one was a four-yard touchdown. So there's his role, right? I mean, he's the he is the red zone guy. He's six foot seven, so has a bit of a leaping ability up there. He's bigger, stronger than the guys that he's going to get matched up against, as you saw uh, on that touchdown play. And so I think that's going to be his role. He's going to be the big red zone threat. And look, I mean, clearly he can go down there and, and do some face catches downfield as well. We saw him with the big 25-yard catch. We saw him with the quick out to start the game and all that. So he's going to he's going to be out there on the field in between the 20s as well. But I think the, the major part of his impact is going to come from what he can do within the 20s uh, in the, those red zone situations. Marshawn Lattimore, always a great addition anytime you're able to get him back on the field for the Saints and have an opportunity to open September 10th against the Tennessee Titans. What does a healthy Marshawn Lattimore mean to this Saints franchise? I think he's the single most important player on their defense. I think that this is a defense that sure found ways to win without him last year somewhat. Uh, they were, you know, they they were without him for ten games uh, during that time, and you know, they they I believe if I remember correctly, they were four and six over the course of those ten games. He means a lot to this defense, and the defense can go as Marshawn Lattimore goes. And so we, you know, uh, New Orleans media spoke with Dennis Allen today. Dennis Allen said that he expects Marshawn Lattimore to be out there on the field week one. And when you've got you know a big time pair of wide receivers and 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 big wide receivers coming to your town, and DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burke you're going to need a guy like Marshawn Lattimore out there matching up with the best of the best. And the Saints have a lot of really good wide receivers that they go up against this year. 
outside of the guys that they're accustomed to, like a Drake London, like a, uh, a Mike Evans and all that, they've got really good wide receivers that they have to deal with this year. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, of course, um, DeAndre Hopkins to open up the season. So you look at where they're going to be, you know, going to need him the most, and it's going to be just about every week. Uh, so I do think that Marshawn Lattimore is uh, probably one of, if not the most important player on this New Orleans Saints defense because he, he changes everything. He makes the safeties jobs easier. He helps the take away some of the attack over the middle of the field, therefore opening up the opportunities for the linebackers to do more or to just focus on the inside because they don't have to worry about the perimeter as much. You don't have to shade a safety over to him if you don't want to. He His coverage buys the defensive line time to keep rushing, keep rushing, keep rushing, and eventually get to the quarterback. He is such a massive, massive piece to what the New Orleans Saints can and what can be and want to be on the defensive side. So, um, you know, it's, it's a long answer, I know, but, man, when the question is what does Marshawn Lattimore bring your defense, I, I think the only right answer um, is either a very long one or simply everything. Talking with Ross Jackson, he's keeping us locked on the New Orleans Saints. Now, look, the past couple of years, Michael Thomas has dealt with a few different nagging injuries. Is he completely healthy and ready to go, and is he still the number one receiver in New Orleans, or is that Chris Olave now? Yeah, I think it depends on how you define number one receiver, right? I tend to define number one receiver by the guy that is the X receiver, the the go-to possession guy that you look to in the you know in the the the, the most important times uh, for your offense and all that. And if so, I think that that's still very much Michael Thomas. And I, I think what we know about Michael Thomas right now is that he's healthier than he has been, and he's healthier at this point than he was when he was trying to come back last year based on the way that he chronicled sort of his recovery timeline with Cat Terrell over at ESPN and a magnificent piece uh, that they produced over there. So, uh, you know, I think that he gave a lot of looks into where he is and what his process is and, and what his progress is, most importantly. And so I think he will be a, a quick option for Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints. But, look, there's no doubt that Chris Olave is going to be – I think Chris Olave is going to wake up on September 10th that morning already having 1,000 yards before he ever steps out on the football field. I mean, the kid's going to be outstanding. In, in 2022 or 2023, there's no doubt about that. But one of the things that's going to open up that offense for Chris Olave, for Rashid Shahid, for those tight ends like a Jimmy Graham, for the guys out of the backfield, is if Michael Thomas can come back and be doesn't have to be the 149 catch Michael Thomas, but if he can come back and be a top wide receiver for this offense and a top threat that defenses have to pay attention to, that changes everything for the New Orleans Saints offense. Ross Jackson locked on Saints and getting you mentioned the Saints open with Tennessee and followed by Carolina, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay. The Saints haven't necessarily gotten off to a great start over the last four or five years. And and I think when you look at it, the division games are what you must have, especially coming out of the division that the Saints are in if you drop if you start off two and two and those two wins that you do have are within your own division does it matter would you rather say look the saints are need and must win their division games or if they go two and two in another direction and come up short in their division that rocky start has started once again yeah, I mean, look, you want to start out quick, and and that's a big one. A guy, Doug Marone, who used to be the head coach of the um, of, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is now the offensive, or now again with the New Orleans Saints this time as the offensive line coach, he would always talk about how important a, a fast start is, and and I don't think that there's anything 
at the moment that should deter the Saints away from exactly that. So, look, it's an AFC matchup to open up the season, which playoff-wise has some really nice implications for them to where even if they, they do drop, you know, some of these AFC games early on, they, they could still be in very good position when it comes to uh, playoff seeding and things like that. It's not the end of the world. But momentum-wise, building up your team's confidence, uh, building up with a new starting quarterback, with a revamped defensive line, with a new-look offense, you're going to want that fast start. So the quicker they can get to that, the better. Ross Jackson joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Ross, as we get ready here for week number one of the NFL season, and, of course, here along the Gulf Coast, People love their Saints updates. How can people continue to follow all of your tremendous Saints coverage? Yeah, you can follow the uh, Locked on Saints podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. New episodes every single Monday through Friday and more, usually around two episodes a day pretty often. Uh, and then you can find all the written work over at Saints News Network, which you can find pretty easily online at saints.media. And then, of course, you can find all of it in one place wherever you get your, your social media, whether that's what used to be Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find uh, Ross Jackson Nola there, which will have all the information you need. Ross, can't thank you enough. Look forward to catching up with you here as the season begins in the NFL, and we'll see if the Saints go marching in and take care of their business this NFL season. Thanks, guys. Absolute pleasure. Appreciate you having me on as always. Y'all take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you here soon. Thank you very much. Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints. Of course, he's part of that Locked On Network. Nick does a phenomenal job covering and analyzing everything that goes down in the Big Easy. Yeah, man. He's good. We need to get my Locked On Falcons guy on here uh, maybe one day this week, man, because let's be honest. It's the Dirty Birds year. <laughs> Come on. Well, man. well, well. <laughs> we'll see here quickly. I'll give you a month. We'll, we'll give you that free pass the first month in to see what the Dirty Birds come away with and how they match up. We're, we're going to allow the Carolina Panthers to score 10 points against us. Okay. That, gonna, that's fair enough. As long as you have 11, it's gonna, not going to matter. We're going to beat them 27 to 10. Okay. Hey, hey, if the Dirty Birds can fly like that, why not? The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive, and we're about to wrap up here before we pass it on over to Joey Warner in the batter's box. He's going to keep you recapped and up to date on everything going on baseball here in Mobile County. That's part of WNSP now live every third week. We're going to mix it up with a different sport that maybe you don't, we don't talk about that much here on the station. So going to give you that exclusive baseball coverage here right after this. Man, it's been a great show. We talked about the Patriots and the quarterback issue. We kind of figured out that, ah, oh, Bailey Zappi's still kind of the backup quarterback. They were just gambling a little bit there. Uh, the biggest brands in college football, nine SEC teams there in the top 25. The high school football updated rankings here locally. Matt Stafford not really getting along with the young players. 
John Emery not going to play for LSU there at Florida State this Sunday. And ACC games, you can catch them at the AMC local movie theater. Is that a good idea, bad idea? I don't know. Corey, it's been a great show. It's been a pleasure as always. And I'm excited about tomorrow. We had George Teague, the first official edition of Teague's Take, you know, talking about Dion, yep. talking a little about Nick Saban, what's going on over there. High hopes for Jalen Milrow uh, by George Teague. We're going to hold him to that. We'll see how he does. The batter's box, bases are loaded with Joey Warner. Coming up next here on WNSP 105.5. And don't forget, we'll check back in with you tomorrow on another great edition of The Final Drive. Florida and Utah tomorrow. More college football coming at you. Everybody, this is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5.